Let's look to the Lord. Father, this morning we come to you. The author of life. And your words are spirit and life. We need life. As death spreads all around in so many ways, you come always to give life. Even this morning, I pray there would be an impartation of life. God's life. The overcoming life. Let everyone receive your life. Through the word that you will use me as your vessel to speak today. Let yokes be broken. Ancient altars be broken. Let there be strength and healing and deliverance. The love of God to be imparted in the hearts of your people. We believe. We believe. We confess our faith in you. Because you said all things are possible to him, to her who believes. So we confess. We believe you, Lord. We believe your word. We believe. Speak this morning, Father. For in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 To lighten the atmosphere, one of the jokes from old time back, sometimes you have to repeat jokes also because when you don't get new ones, you have to go back to the old ones. <laughs> there was this little boy who disliked going to church. The no way parents could get him to church. One morning, before they could grab him, he ran out of the house. He climbed up a tree and he sat down there. There was nothing they could do to bring him down. The mother, in desperation, called the priest. The priest came. He went down to the tree, looked at the boy, and he said, didn't say a word. He did this three times. You know, that's what Catholic priests do. And the boy came down. The mother took him to church. So later at home she said, how come we tried everything? You didn't come down. But when the priest came and he did this three times you came down, he said, I thought the priest was saying, if you don't come down, I'll cut the tree down. (laughs) So it doesn't matter what you understand. The boy still came down. So this morning, we'll go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and we'll read from verse 1 onwards. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. Paul is writing this to Timothy. But God is writing this to all his servants. So sometimes you do not understand the pressure that comes upon the servants of God because this is a charge from God. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. We've been looking at running your race. We're looking at rewards. In the Revelation studies on Monday and Friday, we have reached Thyatira. The fourth church. He who overcomes 
God says, I will give him authority over nations. What was prophesied in Psalm 2 about Jesus? He says, I will share with you that authority to rule nations. So we're looking at a race. Last Sunday, Pastor Vijay was talking. He brought a lot of signs over there and he talked about how the earth, the speed in which the earth rotates and revolves. But we do not know something that we are all, we are not even aware that the earth is rotating, right? And sometimes people are not even aware that we are hurtling towards that day when God will judge the living and the dead. And it could happen any moment. God's people are not aware at breakneck speed the whole of creation is moving towards its destiny, the day of judgment. And therefore the urgency, God says, I charge you, Timothy, Paul is saying, and God tells his servants, preach the word. What should I do? Preach the word. When? In season and off season. There is no season for the word. All seasons. Preach the word. Be ready in season. Out of season. Convince. Rebuke. Exhort. With all long suffering and teaching. And when you preach for two hours, even when they fall asleep, continue preaching with long suffering. Some may snore, shake them and continue preaching. Some may drool, wipe them and continue preaching. Long suffering. Why? What is the reason? Because in verse 3, for the time will come. The time is here. And people will not endure sound doctrine. They will not endure. So we thought about running the race with endurance. To run and complete that race, finish that race, do you know what you need? You need the endurance to sit under sound doctrine. It's not easy. And what will they do who cannot endure that? But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. You don't need endurance to listen to them because they are fanciful teachers. They will tickle your ears, your fans, your desires. What are your desires, brother? Name it, brother. And claim it, brother. Messages are very short, very sweet, so appealing to the flesh. And people jump and dance and scream and do all that. You look at it, but you do not realize. Actually, there is no sound doctrine there. There is no doctrine there. And in the midst of it, God is asking for a generation, every generation, arise and endure sound doctrine. Don't be part of this. Why? Because they will turn what? Their ears away. They will turn their ears away from what? From the truth. Turn our ears away from truth. To what? Fables and myths. Turn our ears from truth. That's the danger from truth. That's the most dangerous thing because God is looking and seeking for worshippers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. So the question is, how do we prepare? Every day for that day, as if today could be that day. There will be no time to prepare because the Bible says it's a twinkling of an eye. So you cannot, you cannot be prepared on that day. You have to be always prepared. Always prepared. I still remember. 
those days when I was in the Northeast many years ago, 20, 25 years ago, when I was in the Northeast, when it was AFCA, Armed Forces Special Act, was all over Assam, and the army was controlling the movements and everything. And uh, it was a civilian government, but the army was controlling because of insurgency. And I had this permit to minister among the soldiers in the, as uh, they gave me a pass so I could go there. And one of the places I used to, I used to go to different regiments. One of the places I used to go was at the core headquarters itself. That was in the evening, core headquarters. And I would go to the barracks where the drivers were. And most of them were Tamilians and they were on fire for God. It would just take five minutes. In five minutes, the dining hall became a chapel. They bring a white sheet, put it over, and before you know, they are all seated over there. Here I am preaching in Hindi, Malayalam, broken Tamil, and I can only hear their cry, Andavare, Andavare. They would, with tears, they would cry this thing. Then suddenly, one whistle. You would see, within two minutes, they put on their uniform, buckle their guilt, praise the Lord, pastor, and they're gone. From a service to duty. Just gone like that. Service is over and I leave. Okay? That's what the Bible is saying. You don't get time. You don't get time. You're always prepared. You're always prepared. And to be prepared, there is something which you have to do. You have to endure sound doctrine. Doctrine, when you are founded on that doctrine, nothing shakes you. Persecution doesn't move you. Remember, the church in Jerusalem began under sound doctrine. They gathered daily. We cannot gather daily, so we give you once a week, enough for seven days. For the apostles' doctrine. And then when persecution arose and the believers were scattered, probably after a couple of years, what happens? They went everywhere preaching the word. Why? Because they were founded on sound doctrine. They endured it. So when persecution came, they didn't fall away. They didn't fall away. And that's what God is talking about. Because what will happen is, they will turn the ears away from truth. And turn to myths, fables. Multitudes, multitudes will make this choice. Because there is a demonic behind it. First Timothy 4.1 talks about the demonic. The spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Why? Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrine of demons. That's what the devil does. There are doctrines which are actually empowered demonically. They are very powerful. Which will grip you. And multitudes will go. But they are deceiving. At the core of it is a lie. It is not truth. It's a lie. It will deceive you. And what happens? People will fall away from the truth. People will fall away from the faith. So there are powers behind it. And there are people who will go, 2 Timothy 4, 3, what we saw. For the time will come, they will not endure. And they will. It's not that they don't leave the church. They'll find another church. Which suits their... It's just like you pick your restaurant according to your palate. Okay. 
Otherwise, there should be only one kind of restaurant in Hyderabad, right? Why do we have so many kinds of restaurants? All of us like, it's like me, you know. My tongue is, my tongue is so tuned to Indian cuisine. And that to South Indian cuisine. I think I still remember when we all went family vacation in Singapore. I was the one who went on Google map and found Sharvana Bhavan in Singapore and ate dosa. While others were freaking out on all kinds of animals. Known and unknown. Why do we have so many? Because our taste buds are different. But it doesn't work that way with God's word. It doesn't work that way with God's word. Sound doctrine. It is the same. Do you have different Bibles or we are all given the same Bible? Only one book. Only one book for everybody. And that's what God is talking about. Be careful. And the problem is, you turn from truth to a fable. What is a fable or a myth? It's an account passing as truth. It's a fabrication. It is not truth. But it passes across as truth. In Greek, the word is athea. Truth versus illusion. And so many people are living their lives on illusion, not on truth. And what does the devil want? The devil wants us to move away from truth. Understand that. That is what he wants. The truth. Truth is a very interesting word in Hebrew. The word in Hebrew for truth is the word emet. I don't know whether my pronunciation in Hebrew is correct. You can check with Pastor Vijay, it's better. It's emet. Hebrew has 22 plus 5 all together. 27, let us say, alphabets. Okay, 27. And this word emet has only three letters. The first word is the word aleph. Alpha in Greek, A in English, aleph. That is the first word. The second word is the word mem. The third word, the letter is the letter called tau. Now it is interesting. Emet has the first letter in the Hebrew alphabets. The last letter of the Hebrew alphabet and the middle letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Did you get it? Hebrew is not like our language. It's a very pictorial language. Basically, the word for truth, the first meaning of a truth is, it is the beginning, it is the end, and it is the whole. It is the whole. The first thing. The Bible is a continuum. It's a continuum. From Genesis 1.1 to Revelation 22.21, it is a continuum written by the same person. So fables and myths are people who leave the Bible aside and pick one verse and this verse and build a theology around it. That is a myth. That's a fable. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Ever. So it has to be in continuum. Sound doctrine means it can stand the test of Genesis and the test of Revelation. You do not add or subtract. You don't pick and choose. Oh, I love this promise and your life is built on a promise and not on the word of God, the whole word of God. 
Because the first definition of truth in Hebrew is it is a continuum. Aleph, the last word, and the middle. That's not the whole story. The second thing in Hebrew, the first word, Aleph, stands for God. Stands for the infinite. So God is truth. God is truth. Right? We know from Isaiah, Isaiah says, God is truth. Jesus comes and says, I am the truth. Then he says, when the spirit of truth comes, then Jesus says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And the church, Paul says, is supposed to be the foundation and the pillar of truth. Aleph. God is truth. So not only is truth a continuum, what is true is true for all times. There cannot be confusion. If God only created us as male and female, it is true for all times. It doesn't change. And sex was only meant to be between a man and a woman. It is true for all times. Doesn't change. Because it's a continuum. Not only is it a continuum, God is truth. God is truth. The third pictorial meaning of the Hebrew word emet is the strong arms of a father carrying a son. That is truth. When a life has been founded on sound doctrine and truth, it can stand the stress of any test. It's a very personal relationship with the person of truth. That's why in 2 Timothy 4, 12, Paul is able to say, I know. No, no, no. One twelve, one twelve. Once again. Anyway, it's, he says, I know in whom I have believed. I know in whom I have believed. Not what. What? Yeah. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Lying in a Roman dungeon. Lying in a Roman dungeon. Waiting his execution. He says, I'm not ashamed. Why are you not ashamed? Because for him, truth is not just an idea. A set of principles. He says, because I know whom I have believed. That is a myth. That is a myth. I know whom I have believed. It is more than an idea. It is a person. The strong arms of the father carrying the child. Therefore, I am not ashamed. I am not afraid because whom I have believed and I am persuaded that what I believe, no, he is able. Because truth without that person can always be contradicted. But God is a person. So truth is a doctrine, but the doctrine is the doctrine of Christ, the person. He says, he is able to keep what I have committed to him until what day? That day. Confident of that day. When that day comes, he says, I know I'm secure because I know in whom I have believed. That's the third meaning of that Hebrew word truth, imet. A father, strong arms holding his child. And that's what Jesus said, I am the truth. And the fourth dangerous aspect 
of that word. In English, you can write it as E-M-E-T, emeth, okay? It's the first word is always alpha or aleph. If you take aleph off, you only get met. If you take aleph off, you only get met. If you take God out, you only get met. Do you know what Hebrew met means? Death. It means death. You take God out. All you have is death. That's what the devil has been trying to do from the beginning. You know what he says? He just takes God out. Then it becomes your truth, my truth. But the end of it is death. Keep that in mind. You take God out of truth, what you don't get is truth. What you get is death. Adam didn't die immediately, but he died. Eve didn't die immediately, but she died. So the devil is subtle. It's very, very subtle. The first time the word subtle is used in KJV is the serpent was more subtle than all other creatures. And he, when he comes to speak, his whole intention in the conversation is to question and remove God out of the equation. He begins by saying, did God say? And what do you get? Death. In Genesis 2.17, this is what God had said. Of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Surely die. In Genesis 3, 4 to 6, enter the dragon. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. In a very serpentish, snakish way, all he did was remove God from the picture. God said he will die. He said he will not die. Don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. Just take him out of the picture. You won't die. For God knows that in the day you eat of your eye, of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree, desirable to make one wise. So what is this? She's the first one to have itching ears. And she had a new teacher. They will gather around themselves what? Teachers. Because they have itching ears. And she moved from truth to a myth. You will become like God. And she took off its fruit and she ate. And she ate. You need to understand, truth is not tasty like myths. Every time I have noticed in all the years I have preached any part of the world, country, village, city, whenever I start a story, everybody sits up. They are listening. Because it's a story. It is tasty. But you go back to scripture, everybody slouches down.
30 years, 35 years, or I don't know how many years back when I used to teach. And when the lecturer or the teacher was not there, when you went to another class which you did not teach, all the students would say, Sir, tell us a story. And most, many churches are storytelling places. They tell stories. 30 years in the church, they're still hearing stories from the Bible. Can you endure sound doctrine? Because there is a snake over there. He found the woman had an itching ear. And he changed the story around and made a myth out of it. No. That's not true. This is what is true. If you eat, this is what will happen. Your eyes will open. You will become like God. Isn't that how everything is sold? Till today, advertisement is always aimed at the itching ear and the glittering eye. That's why you end up with things which you never needed. They say the best salesman is the one who can sell a refrigerator to an Eskimo. Eskimo is sitting in his ice igloo with a refrigerator wondering why he bought it. Because the salesman was good. Think about all the things in your house. Did you actually need all of them? So who sold the bill of goods? Think for a minute. So there he is. In the beginning. Genesis 1. That is the overall creation. 2 is specialized. But overall at the end of the creation. Genesis 1, 31. God saw everything that he had made. And in it there was... Very good. It was very good. And that's how Adam and Eve were created. The entire world, environment, everything was created. God said it is very good. Adam and Eve were not robots. They were created with the freedom to choose. They could either live by God's definition of what is good or choose for themselves by eating from the tree. Of knowledge of evil and good. They had two options. We all have two options. First option. Go by this. There's only one book. In this entire universe. Which diagnoses the problem of a man. And gives the solution. There's no book. No other book diagnoses the problem of man. Sin. Diagnoses the solution. The son. No book. That's why this is true. And this is the only book that is true. It diagnoses everyone's problem. Whatever situation, whatever you are going through, the problem is here, the solution is here. So what Adam and Eve had, we have the same choice. Either you can choose God, and he becomes your life, what he says is the truth, or you can choose your own. And every time we make, I make, you make a choice that is outside the principles and the written word of God, we have become God. What did we do? From Imet, we removed God. You know what? Just as a matter of time, it will bring death. It will die. It will die. Doesn't matter how wonderful it looks then. It will die. 
Because for truth to be true, there has to be God in the beginning. That's why the Bible is a spectacular book like no other book. It just simply states the truth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everywhere we want, we have to go. Adam went to option two. Ate from the tree. Now he and Eve and rest of mankind are the arbiters of what is good and what is evil. And man died. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there is a way that seems right to a man because he is the arbiter of what is truth. But the end of it is the way of? Why? Why is the end of it the way of death? Because he took something out of it, of the equation. What did he take out of it? God. He took God out of the equation. So we have to come back to truth. If any man is in Christ Jesus, he say, new, all things have passed away. All things have been made new. But all things don't just pass away. It has to be passed away. You know what the old things are? Built on lies. What all the new things have to be built on? On truth. If you are really in Christ Jesus, your beginning was in God, in truth. James 1.18 Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's our beginning. Our beginning was by truth. Our first beginning, born in sin, shaped in iniquity, that is a lie. We were born in a lie. Adam's lie. Adamic nature. We were born of a lie. And our father, whether you like it or not, was the devil. Jesus said he was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. We are born again because we receive the word of truth. Born by truth. And our fatherhood changes. Our father, who is our father? He only speaks the truth and he is the truth. And he is the giver of life. He who has son has life. He who does not have the son, does not have. So our beginning is with emet, truth. And our growth can therefore only be by truth. And we cannot stand like Pilate before truth and says, what is truth? And go to perdition when truth was standing right before him. And Jesus made a statement to Pilate. Everyone who is on the side of truth hears my voice. You want to hear God's voice in any situation? First take a stand for the truth. Lord, I will receive your truth. Doesn't matter how painful it is. Because ultimately it brings life and not death. Take a stand for truth. Because that's how it works. So we talk about restoration. There were many prayers for restoration, believing for restoration. How do you want restoration? You have to go back to God. You have to go back to the beginning. You have to go back to truth. Whenever Jesus was asked certain questions, especially connected with marriage, he would always say it was not so in the beginning. Right? It was not so. In the beginning. So Bible is a very interesting book because you have 50 chapters of the beginning. The first book is called the beginning. Genesis means beginning. 
That's why from the beginning I have majored on Genesis. Because I always thought if you know your beginning, then you can understand the middle and the end. Then now we are majoring on Revelation. These are the two books I have taught in my life continuously. One is Genesis, the other is Revelation. Because one is the beginning, the other is the end. Last Sunday, Pastor Vijay talked about a good start. A good start is always good. Half the race is won with a good start. So everywhere we have to go back to the beginning. What is the beginning? How was it in the beginning? Because there are two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, before the fall, and two chapters at the end, Revelation 21 and 22, after everything is made new. Only four chapters. The rest is all in between is the fall. And everything God is trying to restore man. But the question is, whenever you want to restore, right, you know, they like this famous paintings of Picasso and Michelangelo and all which are in these art galleries. After many years, they will restore it. It is a huge, expensive work because it has to be restored without spoiling it. So when you're restoring it, you're restoring it back to the way it was originally. Right? You cannot restore something. Right? If you're restoring, you need to have a template. This was how it was in the beginning. Now it is all crumbled down. Can you restore it back? So when you're asking for restoration of anything, you need to ask, how was it in the beginning? How was it in the beginning? What was it like in the beginning? What does restoration want? So you have got to the beginning. Thank God in our church we have only two genders. Male and female. So you have to go to the beginning. In the beginning there was God and then God created man in his image. Male and female he created them. So let's go to the beginning. First you have to accept the truth. There are only two genders. Then you won't struggle with gender dysphoria. Honestly, it's not I'm laughing matter anymore. Tomorrow your child may grow up and come and say, I, be, I believe I am a female or I am a male. So it is no longer because this is not, because now 20% of the young adults in uh, US are identifying with that. What went wrong? In the most for, foremost Christian nation in the world, what went wrong? That you did not know even your beginning? That you were not grounded in this truth that there are only two genders? What went wrong? Where did you go wrong? So what were you hearing? Fables? Myths? That marriage is between Adam and Eve. What went wrong? When two men marry and two women marry, what went wrong? We are not talking about things happening in India. We are talking about things happening in Christian nations. Where did you go wrong? How did you go wrong? You went wrong because you took a life out of Emet. Took God out. When you take God out, your truth actually is a death trap. It's a death trap. You take God out. So today, Ladies can listen, but I will mostly speak to men. You know why? Because God made man first. So let's talk to the men first. And ladies, listen. Don't take notes and then go and uh, regurgitate it back at your husband. Just listen. Because next time you will be on the receiving end. 
Genesis 2.15 is where man's interaction direct with God begins. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. Okay, he's created man, being created in God's image, woman also created in God's image, both share God's image, but in the order man is created first, order is important, man is created first, then God takes him and puts him in the garden and gives him two duties, to tend and to keep it. Okay? So all men, so many unmarried men sitting over here, get the truth. You swallow your lie because you probably are living in the last generation. It will be too late. This urgency connected always with the last generation. And I told you, most of the Bible is actually written to that generation. That is the last generation. The warnings. Because what the world is going through, generations did not go through. So to the older generation, so many things which you are going through look so strange. Looks very strange. What is this gender problem? What is this homosexuality? What is this bisexuality? These are things which never entered into our minds. We lived in a different generation. What is this struggling with porn? There was no porn. So you are a different generation. And the warnings sometimes are always targeted at a generation. And therefore, all the men sitting here, young and old, married and unmarried, go back to the truth. Because when you will be judged, you will stand there before God as a man. Doesn't matter what your dysphoria is. And he will judge you by the man he defined man has. Not your definition or the culture's definition. And the first thing he tells about the man is two things. Puts him in a place, let us say your home. The garden. To work, to tend, to work, and to keep it. The Greek word is abad. Sorry, the Hebrew word is abad. Which actually means to work, to serve God, and to serve one another. It is a priestly function in the Hebrew. This word tend is a priestly function. I'll put you over there. The first thing you do is function as a priest unto God and unto man. You are a priest. You serve me and you serve one another. That's what you are. Doesn't matter whether you are a doctor, an engineer, computer specialist or whatever your this thing is. Know your identity first as a man. Who are you in God's eyes? You are a priest. You function as a priest where God has placed you. Who do you serve? You serve God. He is the arbiter of truth. You serve God. You don't violate His laws. If there is a horizontal pull, you don't change the vertical. So Joseph may be a slave in Potiphar's house, but he is serving his God and serving one another and the master is prospering and the master realizes his God is with him. And then from Mrs. Potiphar there is a horizontal pull and he refuses to change the vertical because he knows who he is in a Gentile house, in a Gentile nation. He still is functioning as a priest, as an unmarried man. I'm still a priest. 
What I do is abad. Because when you are running your race, you have to run by the rules. Because if you do not run by the rules, you will be disqualified. So if you are a man, run as a man. The first question you need to ask is, don't look at all the magazines and the movies and cut them out of your life and ask God, what is a man? Who is a man? How do you define me? God says the first word for you is about you are a priest. You serve me. And you serve your family. Or you serve one another. Think, think. Otherwise we'll go into fables. And the second thing is asked is to keep it. The Greek word is, sorry, the Hebrew word is shamar. Which means watchman. The watchman. You are asked to watch. You are asked to function as a priest, to serve, a serving priest. And you are asked to be the watchman of your garden. First as a young man, watching over your own life. Joseph watched over his life. Daniel watched over, these are all single men, because there are a lot of single men here. Watched over his life. Yet they served in the courts. Gentile quotes. So, emit, you learn about truth. You take Aleph off, you get death. You put Aleph in, you get life. And God tells a man, you have two functions, Abad and Shamar. Function as a priest. Always aware whose you are and whom you serve. Over and over we told you about when Daniel is put in the lion's cave. The king comes in the morning and says, Daniel, servant of the Most High God, whom you serve continuously. Why? Because he knew who he was. He knew his identity, what a man is. Serve God, serve family, and secure a home. Guard your home from predators. That was Adam's job. Profile, job profile. And that's every man's job profile. In 2.18 comes the introduction of the woman. And the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. A helpmate. So woman, I'm not going into the woman today, but take a second. Look at that one word. That one word is your job profile. Who are you? I'm a helper. To my man, in his two functions as Abad and Shamar. That's who I am. What is my profile? When that time comes, I will assist him in serving his God. And I will assist him in protecting that garden, that home. That's my profile. God-given profile. I'm not the mate. He is the mate. I am the helpmate. I am not the head. He is the head. But I know who I am. I am the assistant. I am the helper. It's not a denigrating word because the Holy Spirit is called the helper. And the Holy Spirit is the one who is always helping the father and the son in their work. If you know your roles, some of your prayers will be suddenly quickly answered. And some of your prayers would be cancelled. Because you understand, oh, this is why my prayer was never answered. 
I didn't realize. My prayers were not according to Emmet. It was according to Met. Thank God he didn't answer it. Because if he had answered it, the end of it would have been death. Like I said, Adam didn't die on the day he sinned. He died 900 years later. But he did die. Because you take God out of the equation. You will die. Your marriage will die. Your home will die. Your career will die. There is a way that looks right to man. But the way of it at the end is death. You cannot change it. Because if you want life, you have to bring God in. So question is, what did God say? This is what God is talking about. And the enemy comes. When the enemy comes, he doesn't go to man. He goes to the woman. He goes to the woman. He doesn't go to man. He goes to the woman. But Genesis 3, 6 says, she also gave it to her husband with her and he ate. Though he goes to the woman, though he's having the conversation with the woman, the husband is with him, with her. And he's silent. This is the first fault of the first man. He's passive. He didn't protect. He didn't intervene. We don't know why. But he was just quiet. He stood there, listened to the whole conversation, never opens his mouth. The only time he opens his mouth is to eat the fruit. He didn't say anything. He forget his, forgot his God-given responsibility of Shamar. I am to be the watchman. He didn't. The priest and the watchman is right there. The devil sold a fable, a myth, and Eve swallowed it. Adam swallowed the fruit. He didn't swallow the myth. That is what is strange. You go to First Timothy chapter uh, 2. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Now, is this a myth for you? Sisters, do you think God is weaving a fable here? Or do you take it as truth? You see, that's why the truth is not tasty. But it will relieve you. It will save you. This is God's word. You know what he tells? Sisters? Learn. Not be silent, but learn. A lot of women are silent, but they don't learn. A lot of women learn, but they are not silent. Either is not solution. God says, learn in silence. With some submission. No, all submission. All submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Basically, he's saying, I do not permit a woman... To teach where she exercises authority over a man. Do you believe this is the word of God? Then how can you have churches even in this city where the head pastor is a woman? Ask these questions before go to churches. It doesn't matter how fanciful those churches may look like. What does the word of God say? Is this a myth? And you take God out of it, you get met. 
Glamour and glitz doesn't change the word of God. It is forever settled in the heavens. You go by it, you will live. You take God out, you will die. I will die. We will die. Next verse. Adam was formed first. Then Eve. The order comes. Adam was not deceived. But he's still ate. Did you see that? He knew the truth. He never wavered from the truth. But he's still ate. So actually he said more fault than the woman. The woman was deceived. He was not deceived. He's still ate. And fell into transgression. Lot of men are like that. They know it is wrong. But they will keep quiet. They won't say anything. This Adamic trend continues for 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years. They don't say anything. They either keep quiet or they go along with the woman. That's what he did. He went along with the woman. You failed in your responsibility. I'm talking to men. Adam was not deceived. Bible is very clear. Adam is not deceived. For 4,000 years, until Apostle Paul came and the Holy Spirit spoke through him, people did not know Adam was not deceived. Then people realized, oh my gosh, we never knew Adam was not deceived. He knew what he was doing. Young men, married men, older men. You may not be deceived. The question is, are you holding on to a bag? Are you a priest? Are you holding on to Shamar? Are you a watchman? In Matthew 13, 24 and 25, this is what Jesus says. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. The next verse. But while men slept, the enemy came. The watchman was sleeping. When watchmen sleep, when watchmen sleep, the enemy did not pluck out all the wheat and sow tears. So she, he just scattered tears with the wheat. When the watchman was sleeping. Truth mixed with fables. We have swallowed myths. We have mixed it together. Remember the last of the last days. The statue with Daniel saw and the feet which are ten kingdoms but the feet are mixed with what? Iron and clay. Do they mix? No. Do wheat and tear? They're growing together. And everyone sitting over here, everyone, probably me too, we got things, truth and fables mixed together. When we were sleeping, he was busy sowing tears. Ideas. Oh, 
What was she supposed to do? She was not supposed to sleep. She was supposed to be alert. Supposed to be alert. She was supposed to be a watchman, a guard, guarding over his own mind first. Because if a young man does not guard his own mind, then when he gets married, how will he guard his home? First he has to guard his own mind. Right? We have to guard our own mind. That was his job profile. And there is an order. Adam was formed first. From there comes authority. Authority. Order also has authority. We have the council of ministers in Delhi. But then there is the prime minister. And he probably takes all the single decisions by himself. And the others can't do anything. We have a council of ministers here. And then there is the chief minister in order. He comes at the top. So in order, Adam comes first. He's been given authority. But authority in the kingdom is not like authority in the world. Even when the authority in the kingdom can be absolute, it comes with great responsibility and enormous accountability. Authority in the kingdom comes with two things. One, you're responsible. You're responsible. Two, you're accountable. Remember? Who has a conversation with Satan? Eve. Who takes the fruit? Eve. Who eats first? Eve. Who does she give it to? Adam. But when God comes, who does he question? He doesn't question Eve. Only third question is to. Fourth question is to. He doesn't say, Eve, Eve, I saw you. Where are you? No, he says, Adam, where are you? Generations later, around 12 or 13 generations later, Abraham, the father of faith, who obeyed the call and went 10 years in the promised land. Sarah is getting upset. She says, brings God over there weaves a fable. God has restrained my womb. So let us go by this way. There is Hagar, my Egyptian maiden, and have a child through her. And he listened to her voice, has a child. It is birth. Ishmael, it is a mess in the house. She mocks the mistress. The mistress turns nasty. The girl runs away. God has to meet her, send her back. All kind of jumla happening there in Genesis 16. 13 years later, in Genesis 17 and verse 1. What does it say? Read. God appeared to Abraham and said, Walk before me and be. Why didn't he say that to Sarah? Just your idea. You swallowed the lie of the culture through which the devil spoke. You started this whole mess. He said, no, you, I hold you responsible. He didn't ask Sarah. One word. Nothing to Sarah. Zerah, Abraham. You walk before me and be blameless. Sometime later, Jesus comes there with two angels. He has a wonderful meal in Abraham's house. Abraham, 99-year-old man, is running here and there and preparing the everything and serves. And when they are all served, God asks Abraham the question, where is your wife Sarah? He said, behind. And then God says, at the appointed time, next year this time, your wife Sarah will have a child. And then Sarah laughed. Look at Genesis 18. The Lord said to 
said to who? So your unbelief, your wife has unbelief and she loves. God will still ask you, how come you did not transfer your faith to your wife? Earlier when I came, you laughed. But then you believed. Now you are not laughing. But you have not been able to transfer your faith into your wife. Why is she laughing? Even when your wife laughs at God's promises, God will only ask the man and not the woman. Understand how it works. What does authority mean? Authority means you are responsible. I am responsible to see my faith is transferred. I am accountable when she does not believe. That is what it means to find a helpmate who is comparable. I believe like Narnia, all the animals could speak because the serpent spoke and he was not scared or anything. All the animals could speak and God brought all the animals to Adam and said, you can choose, you can pick. He named them, but he found none comparable to him. So you should find a mate who is comparable to you. The one who will listen. The one you can lead. The one whom we can transfer faith The one when you talk about the promises of God does not laugh. When you choose young men and young girls, when you come, time come, how are you going to make your choices? What are you going to make your choices for? Now if you already made your choices, you are married, it doesn't matter. Change according to image. That is what restoration is. I will be a man after God's own heart. I will be a woman after God's own heart. I will go under God's order because in that there is life. I take God out of the picture in any decision I make. At the end of it is death. It will die. It will die. So we are talking about a race. We are talking about first you have to race. You have to know who you are. Because we have gone to the other extreme of wokeness where men are running in women's races. And coming first and showing their medals. What is there great to show you a medal when you are a man, born as a man, now saying you are a woman, running in a woman's race and coming first? Because we are talking about race. If you are a man, run as a man. If you are a woman, run as a woman. If you are a Christian woman, are you the head? Are you pulling the strings? You will be disqualified. Doesn't matter how great your work may seem to men and women. You will be disqualified because you did not run according to God's order. And if you are a man passive sitting there and allowing her to run, walk all over you, you will be disqualified. Though you may have a kind of a very temporary kind of a peace. I don't want to create any conflict. You will be disqualified because the first rule of this thing, know who you are. Know who you are. Get back into order. Let there be order in my courts, is what God says. Order. Everything. Because when you are running your race, because there is so much confusion, absolute, ask you, there is so much confusion in the US. Absolute confusion. Nobody knows who they are. Why does there, why is there so much confusion? One reason. You took God out. 
So if God has to bring restoration, you have to recalibrate your entire thinking, your life according to God's word. And first thing is that, just go to the beginning. In the beginning. How did God do things? In the beginning. What was man? What did he say? How was it? He created a garden. He planted all these trees. Then he put a created man, breathed into his nostrils, made him a living soul, put him in the garden, gave him a job to do, a work to do, and then told him, serve and watch. Then he allowed him to choose. The man was looking, 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 naming, 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 naming. He couldn't name anybody that was comparable to him. So God put him to sleep, took a rib out, created a woman, brought her to him. And then he said, out of me, woman, comparable. Comparable. Every conflict in every marriage can be resolved in five minutes. Every conflict. Go back to this and see what does God say. Your conflict resolution manual is the word of God. I have exalted my word above all my name. What is your conflict over this? What did God say? Conflict resolved. This is my problem. What did God say? This is our problem. What did God say? It's over. If you are married to somebody who does not believe, God says, just keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. Especially to the wives, he says, keep your mouth shut. When they see your reverential behavior because you are standing on the truth and you fear the truth, you love the truth and you are walking according to that, they will be confronted by the truth. You cannot deny the truth. It was the pressure of the crowds. Pilate went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth because he's saying, this man is innocent. Finally, he said, bring a vision. I'm washing my hands of this. When you are there, and Jesus did not open his mouth. He was silent. He was silent. And God is telling us something. Truth can be silent. I think all the lights went or this face also went. Oh, now you are, you can steam it out while they enjoy the fan. Okay. <laughs> think about it. Proverbs 22.6 Restoration. Recalibrate men in your mindset. Train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is no conflict, confusion among them. They speak in the same voice. They are one. You shall love the Lord your God. Can we put this, this blazing lights off so that they can see clearly? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Ephesians 6.4 
And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Do you know all the instructions was given to the father? You young man, if you don't read your Bible today, how will you teach your Bible to your son tomorrow? You have no daily devotion. You never wake up to pray. There is no prayer life, no praise life, no word life. What are you going to give to the next generation? What are you going to build on? What is your foundation? Because it's all told to the father. But it's not outsourced to the mother by God. Though the mother is a very powerful influence, but actually the command is given to the father. Not to the pastor, not to the Sunday school. At the home, that's a basic unit. That's where the devil hits the home. Because he knows if he can destroy the home, he can bring a nation down. He doesn't have to go anywhere, just hit the homes. So young girls, unmarried girls, when you're thinking about marriage, are you picking up a man who has a very vibrant spiritual devotional life? A man who prays? A man who knows his word? A man you know who loves God? Because you can have compatibility outside too. He looks good. I look good. We'll be a nice match. Yeah, match. Then it will light like the matches one day. Or he thinks this way. I think this way. It's a meeting of minds. Yeah. After you'll, after some time it will be mindless. What about the spirit? When we are born again, did not we become spirit beings first? That the Lord of God of peace shall sanctify you wholly, your spirit, soul and body and keep you blameless until the coming of the Lord and he shall do it. So aren't we spirit first? Did we check the spirit? Young ones, don't go wrong. You don't have time. Are we spirit first? Are we soul first? Or are we body first? Are we getting married for a photograph? Chicken frame and hand? Or are we getting married to write a book together? Meeting of soulmate. They work well. Without God it works well. But the end of it is death. Lord of non-Christian marriages work well. Because it works. But is there life there? The life of God there? No. So, what does the Bible say? Everywhere. Father says, God says, I will hold. Man, you responsible. A home where father and mother, where the mother is the helper and is not in conflict, things will work. But the minute the conflict comes, things start falling apart. That's why we keep telling you, no conflict, no conflict, resolve your conflicts and this is what it says, this is the easy book to resolve your conflicts because the children need to grow up in an atmosphere where there is no conflict. And if there is conflict, because children being children and being flesh, they will always go with flesh. It's a natural attraction, it will go with flesh. It won't go with the spirit, how can a child go with the spirit unless the child itself is spirit? And most children are not spirit, they are flesh. That's why there should be no conflict. But these decisions should be made now. Because please remember, the devil has 6,000 years of experience of messing up humans. And there is nothing new under the sun. 
You may think I am special. No, you are not. I am not. None of us are. He knows us all. He knows how to circumvent through anything unless it is built on the rock. On the rock. House built on the rock. The rock is Emeth, the truth. Where God is there in the center, in the beginning, in the middle and in the center. And you have a real, personal, vibrant relationship with God. So that when the storms come, when the floods rise and it's pouring all around, the house is still standing because he's holding you up. He's holding you up. The world calls it social problems. So they have social workers to deal with social problems. This is a statistics from five years ago. So the statistics has only gone up. Five years ago. Okay. 63% of all suicides come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists motivated by misplaced anger come from fatherless homes. 40% of children now do not live with their biological father. 85% of children with behavioral problems come from fatherless homes. 90% of homeless children come from fatherless homes. 71% of children who do, need, do not finish school come from fatherless homes. The, Bible, the world calls social problems. God says, I will tell you the problem. The problem is fatherlessness. Now where God puts the problem? He puts it right on the spot. He says, you know what the problem is? Problem is fatherlessness. Doesn't matter what the state calls, the system calls. Solution is here. He says, do you know what's happening all around? I'm telling you, if you see the videos of these mobs of youth attacking the department stores and looting and taking all the stuff away, I promise you, go check with them. Nine out of ten or a ten of ten comes from fatherless homes. That's the truth. The fatherlessness comes under various templates. Negligent father, unknown father, absentee father, silenced father, silent father. All kinds of templates are there. That's why I said I'm talking to men today. You know, there's one Hindu contesting in the Republican primaries called Vivek Ramaswamy. He's the youngest ever. He's 36 years old. He's, he will not make it. But I'm saying he's one of the candidates in the Republican primary. Do you know when he was asked in a question, what is the problem in America? He says fatherlessness. Can you pinpoint the actual problem America is facing? He said fatherlessness. There are no fathers. And that is the problem. And we are talking to men. What are you going to be? What will you rise up as? And women, what will you be? A helpmate or checkmate? Will help your husband to raise up these children whom you dedicated unto the Lord. We had one more dedication today. I am a helpmate. I know what my role is. I am part of his abad. Helping him in his priestly function. I am part of his shamar. I am part of 
watching over my children? Or are you the source of all the trouble? Or man, are you the source of all the trouble? Get God out of the picture. What will happen to the children? Because we are talking about children. Honestly, I sit there and look, boy, the church is full of children. We have more children than adults in the church. And more and more are coming. Little ones, little ones, little ones, little ones, little ones. And most of them are girls. Do you know statistics? Most of teenage pregnancies, the girls come from fatherless homes. The question to be asked, where are the fathers? Where are the fathers? God has restoration in his mind. But to be restored, we need to go to the original template. In the original template, God comes and asks the first question. Where are you? Absconding? Hiding? Silent? Passive? Adam, where are you? Second question. Who told you? Who sold you this bill of goods? Who sold you this myth? That you can be free without me. That there is life without the giver of life. Who told you? Men, women, children, before you receive anything into your head, ask this question, who told me? Where did you source your information from? Because God has restoration in mind. But he cannot restore us until we go to his own template. We go to the beginning. The last verse in the old covenant. Malachi 4 and verse 6. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come. So there is something God says I will do in the last days. He says I will do something. I will turn. I will turn. Template has to be turned. The children have to go back to their fathers. The fathers have to go back to the children. There has to be a raising up of fathers so the children can go back. And mothers suddenly realize this is my role, not to be a stumbling block, but to direct them into their priestly function. It is not about the world, the goods, the materialism, the jobs, the careers. None of this thing is worth it if you lose your children. In the process. Because the state is so more interested in fixing financial problems, stabilizing the market, climate change, and all. God is not interested in any of those things. He says, you fix the home, everything will get fixed on its own. You don't fix the home, you fix everything, it will still collapse. Because I created the home. That is the basic unit. God says there has to be a reconciliation between man and God and the fathers and the children. The fathers have to turn back to God. Then the children will turn back to the fathers. And mothers don't become a stumbling block, become the helpmate. What the devil does is, the powerful weapon the enemy uses is to redefine God's template. Two men families. Of course we love each other. But there is no truth in the love. God says speak the truth in love. Two women raising children. 
So we are standing exactly where Adam and Eve stood 6,000 years ago at the crossroads. One leads to life, the other leads to death. And like Elijah said, choose this day whom you will serve. Yahweh or Baal. Baal, 1821. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. But the people answered, Every generation stands at the same crossroads where Adam and Eve stood. Will you go with God or will you go with this fable? Where which, which direction will you go? Men? Because we are so concerned about that physical, material security. And as important as it is, we forget the pattern in the garden. The devil just used words. He didn't use anything there. He just used words. He just sold lies as truth. And it became the, f- started the first rebellion in the home, which ended up in death. Because ideas are seeds. They always produce after their own kind. We don't realize the day we are living in. Every song, every movie, every chat, every Twitter. No, I don't know how many social media things just going viral. Every video going carries a message, a seed. Now what they are doing? They're sowing tears among the wheat, among the wheat. I'll give you just two examples, okay? Two examples from a little time back. I didn't see, but some of you may have seen a Disney movie called Frozen. Disney went woke, so they're going broke. Okay? Frozen. Where did Disney begin? Where has Disney ended? Movie called Frozen. I will not put you under guilt by asking you to show your hands all those who have seen it. Because from your smiles, I can make out how many saw it. And there is this character, I'm not mentioning the character because that character's name, somebody else is there with that same character. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. This is how they inspire children. Sold as inspiration. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I am free. What is Disney selling? Rebelling. To the children. You don't have to listen to anybody. There's no right, there is no wrong. You make your own choices. I did it my way. You know what they're doing? They're training children in lawlessness. The amazing Spider-Man. So many Spider-Men and Spider-Women here. Andrew Garfield. At the award. This is his statement. It's a spirit that says, it's a spirit that says, we are all made perfectly. And we all belong. So I dedicate this award to the countless LGBTQ who have fought and died to protect that spirit. Spider-Man. Do you know, there's a generation that is absolutely indoctrinated because there is no movie, no video, nothing that is sold with an underlying message. You may forget the movie, but the message has sunk in. 
message has sunk in. Do you realize? Watchmen, watchmen. I put you watchmen on the tower. Do you watch? Before your children watch? Do you read? Before your children read? Or you subscribe and give it a read. Broaden your mind. Do you? Watch before you watch. It takes two to tango. Father and mother. The children are small. They shouldn't watch anything which you haven't watched. I don't think when my children are growing up, I ever let them watch anything that I had not watched first. I let them read anything which I had not read first. Even their storybooks, little ones, I read first. But you are in conflict. You will not care. Because most men, they will say, I'm putting the bread on the table. But watchmen, watchmen, didn't I tell you something much bigger than that? Because when I put Adam in the garden, I didn't tell him to put the bread on the table. I told him to watch. Because I already put the bread on the table. Are you watching? Because these children are precious in his sight. They are precious. Like I said during the dedication, the most precious gift you will ever receive in your lifetime is your child. And when we stand before God, he will ask you, did you watch? Did you pray? Did you fast? Did you? Did they see you? Did they see you? Consistent. Did they see you? Did they have a template? It doesn't matter what they are up. They will grow up and they may go on their way. But Job's children always saw the father. When the feasting was over, he called them. And he was there at the altar. They saw him. There are only two things common in Job's household. The parting of the children and the sacrifice of the father. The father's sacrifice was always there. The template never changed. And they grow up, you can't do anything. But when they grow up, they need to, they need to realize there was always a template. Young men, unmarried men, married men, they need to see your template. We are not talking about being perfect. We are not talking about being, we are talking about with all our frailties and foibles. We still love God. We are men after God's own heart. We love Him. When was the last time your children saw you with the Bible open? And young men, when was the last time you saw yourself with the Bible open? Habits are not going to be grained immediately. One day, these are godly disciplines. As Paul says, physical discipline is good, but godly discipline will last this and a lifetime to come. Questions, questions, because if foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? Now, I'm not talking to people where your father doesn't believe. 
In that case, the mother takes that place. The helpmate actually takes the place and the family revolves around her. The faith I saw in Eunice and Louis, Timothy, because his father was Greek. He never went to the synagogue. He was not interested in God, but he had a very strong template. What is a strong template? The strong template was his mother. We all welcomed Johan over there, but Johan is an orphan. His mother is a widow. The strong template he saw was ultimately was his mother. And ultimately he turned around and came back because there was a steady face in his life. That was his mother. So mothers can be very powerful templates in an unbelieving home. But children have to see something. The question is, what are they seeing? So where are the watchmen? Where are the fathers? Do you know all the time when Jesus talked, one thing consistently talked over and over and over and over was about his father. My father, my father, my father, my father. Why are you worried? Why are you anxious? Don't you know your father? Teach us to pray our father. It is always about the father. You know, one of the primary purposes of the incarnation in John 1.18 was so that Jesus could show us the father. This is what a father walks around like. You know, he says the template has been messed down by 4,000 years of fables and lies and tyranny and parental abuse and what a toxic masculinity. You can name it whatever you want. He says, I want to change all the template and give you the real template of what a father is. He says, you know what a father is? He said, he's like me. This is what the Bible says. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. He said, if you ever want to know a father, a father is like this. He says, I have come to declare the father. Because if you do not know the father, there can be no restoration. Final words in the old covenant is a restoration. Because fathers have to be restored. But to have the fathers restored, we need a template. Because Adam fell and the template has gone. But the second one arose. His name is Jesus. He said, I and the father are the same. Are the same. The father who loves us. The father who cares for us. The father who provides for us. The father who guards us. The father who disciplines us because he loves us and not because he is angry. Jesus modeled the father before us to the point when the disciples show us the father. He said, you have seen me. You have seen the father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 to 16, do you know what Paul says? I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. He's telling his church, you know what, I'm writing to as a father to our children. I'm not writing this to shame you. You are my children. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, as Christ imitated the father. Because when fathers neglect, the enemy is waiting to adopt our children. If we fail to instruct our children, the enemy will. And most modern day children are fathered by Google and mothered by Swiggy. 
Where do you get your information from? Who's the source of your instruction? Or what is right and what is wrong? So don't complain, my father was not a believer, my father. Okay, the question is, what are you? What are you? Can't keep on passing the buck. What are you? Joseph could have made the excuse, my father married four times and there is so much chaos in the house, his ten brothers are, I am, but he chose not to go that way. You want to talk about dysfunctional families? Joseph came from a dysfunctional family and he was the only orphan. He didn't have a mother. But he turned out straight. Why? Because he went to the template and held on to God. The God his father had instructed about. He forgot to, he he refused to judge his father but held on to his father's God as he had instructed by his father. Because if the foundations are destroyed, what will we do? Young men and young women who are unmarried. What will you be? Girls, when it times come for you to marry, whom will you marry? What kind of a man will you choose? What kind of a man will you choose? We need restoration. Step one. We won't finish this message today. If Jesus doesn't come back this month, we'll finish but if he comes back this month, half a message is better than no message. First Kings chapter 18 verse 30. First Kings chapter 18 and verse 30. I didn't give it. And Elijah said to all the people, come near me. Come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. All men, married and unmarried, look at me. That's where it begins. Do you have an altar? Do you have an altar? Did you ever have an altar? It's okay. There's no condemnation. Start today. If you had one and it is broken down, repair it today. Because that's where it all begins. You need to have an altar. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 18, and then 20, Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives went out. This is a new beginning. Literally the new creation after the flood. Everything is new. They are all coming out. First the men, the people come out, the animals come out. Look at verse 20. And Noah built an altar to the Lord. You know what his first act is? First act. The first time the word altar is mentioned in the Bible. Noah built an altar. First things first. Build an altar. Start waking up in the morning. According to your shift timings. I'm not saying it's a hard and fast rule. If those who work at night, you cannot. You're anywhere awake. But I'm telling you, men and women, married and unmarried, you need to have an altar. If you never had one, build one. If you had one and it is broken down, start repairing it. Come near me, said Elijah. 
The country is in chaos. There is famine. People are dying. There is confusion. And they are all waiting for rain. They are waiting for restoration. But Elijah says, the altar of Baal are all polished. Altar of God is broken down. Oh, look at the school books. All worn out. Over and over. Look at the Bible. Untouched. Look at the music videos you watch over and over. Subscribe to 15 different worldly channels. Your songbook never touched. The altar of Baal is flourishing. But the altar of God is broken down. You are jumping, dancing, doing everything. But there is no answer from here. The God who answers will not answer until you repair your altar. That's where it begins. Repair your altar. First thing Noah did, he built an altar. Genesis 12 and verse 7. Abraham entered into the promised land. God has been waiting for this man for years to enter into the promised land. He enters and God appears. To your dissonance, I will give this land. And there he built an altar. You read the book of Genesis. Abraham builds five altars. Wherever he goes, he builds an altar. That's why his children saw, his grandchildren saw. Our grandfather, our father is a man who worships God. When he fails, he goes back to the altar. When he starts, he starts from the altar. They saw it both. Do you remember the man called Lot who prospered and at the end of it was death? There was no altar in his life. Therefore, when the children had to make choices, they made choices according to Hollywood because that was all that was there in their house. There was no altar. Lot also had children. But they knew no altar. So when they had to make choices, they made choices according to the system in which they grew up. And they were daughters. Abraham's son Isaac, he built two altars. No, he built one altar. Look at Genesis 25. Then he went up from the Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear. I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Look at verse 25. Look at that. It's a very powerful verse. Very, very powerful verse. Look at the order it is put in. That's not how we do. It's written. So he built an altar there called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent. He didn't pitch his tent first. That's what we do. We pitch our tent first. He built his altar first. Then he pitched his tent. You know what the symbolism is? God comes first, not the place, not my job, not my prosperity. Nothing else comes before God. He built his altar first, then pitched his tent. And then Isaac's servants dug a well. That is Beersheba. Men, women. First thing in the morning, don't pitch your tent. Go to the altar. Don't go to Facebook. Don't go to the social media. Doesn't matter how loving you go people. There's nothing wrong about any of these people. But does God come first? Is the question. Do you want prayers answered? 
Do you want God to intervene in your situation? Is there an altar? Jacob's first encounter with God is in a dream. The minute he wakes up in Genesis 28 verse 18, Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He made that pillow into an altar. How many of you have made your pillow into an altar? David did. His pillow was soaked with tears. That was his altar. Jacob had an incredible experience for the first time. God is directly speaking to him. Next thing he did, his mother had given him some hair oil. He took it and made it into an altar. Immediate response. God is in this place. And then years later in 35, 6 and 7. Yeah. Genesis 35. Which is the land he and all the people and he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel because there God appeared to him when he fled from his brother's presence. Templates are there for men and women, especially men. As the head of the house, as the priest, you started. You gather the family together. You lead. There is a family altar. There is a personal altar. And then there is a family altar. Start now. There is Ravi and Ashwin. Beautiful to start. They just been married for a week, ten days. Start now. Noah built an ark. It was the first act of a man who had been shut down in that ark for weeks and months and over a year and a month shut in this thing, floating around. First thing is build an altar. But during Noah's time or a little later after that, the subsequent generation, Genesis 11, 4, they said, come let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. There is Noah building an altar. There are this generation building a tower. Isn't that we talk about? Everywhere we go, oh, cyber towers, tower, tower, Burj Khalifa, towers, towers, and we boast about, is that what you're doing? Are you building an altar or a tower? There are two kinds of people in this world, those who build towers and those who build names and those who build altars. Those who build towers are building a name for themselves. Those who build altars are glorifying the name of God. Much ministries are towers. They are not altars. So many ministries out there in the name of God is not an altar. It is a tower. They are building a name for themselves. And you can put it that right into your child right now. Build a name for yourself. Work God. Work God. You need to be better than your peers. Build this tower and make a name for yourself. Why are you building a tower? Altar. What did Isaac see his father doing? What did Jacob grow up seeing Isaac doing? What did Joseph see Jacob doing? The altar, not a tower. When you build an altar, you are saying, God is the center of my life. When you build a tower, you are saying, I am the center of my life. All men sitting here, especially men, And then the women. Every day, 
you and I wake up to a construction project. You're either building a tower or you're building an altar. What are you building? Because restoration has to take place. If restoration doesn't take place, you will not be part of the restoration. You will be part of the curse. I will turn the heart of the fathers to the children, heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and curse the land. So it's not an option. It's a necessity. And the honest is upon the men. And if the men are in there, it is upon the women. Build an altar. Even if your children are old and gone out of your hands, they are not interested. They are the lost generation. Eating and drinking, buying and selling. That's the last generation. That's what they are always doing. Eating, drinking. They are always checking on apps where to order food from. Eating, drinking. What's the new drink in town? What's the new flavor? Eating, drinking, buying, selling. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. Job 1, 4 and 5. And his sons would go feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. They had appointed days for feasting. It went in a circle, never finished. What can the father do? They're all grown up, married, gone. You can't do anything, but there is one thing you can do. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course, Job would send and sanctify them. In those days, when father said, children listened. These days they won't listen. You can still pray. This altar never changed. This prayer life never changed. Because the kids are not going the way you taught them does not mean that your altar breaks down. No, your altar is always there. You are still offering your sacrifices morning and evening. You are still interceding. You are still standing in the gap. Because I will ask you account one day. So start now. If you're going to get married one day and you're going to be a father one day, start now, better have an altar when you are young. So that you will know what to do. Noah, sorry, Job never gave up. So the first thing to do is, first things first. What do you do today? Not tomorrow. Today, Men, women, boys and girls, unmarried, married, what should you do? Build your altar. Start today. Pick up this book. This is truth. This is a myth. You took God out. All you have left is death. It's just a question of time. Just a question of time. You bring God in. This will set you free. The solution to all the problems lies very close. Close to the home, close to the heart. John 8 and verse 32, Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You shall know the image. The image shall set you free. 
Then he prayed a prayer in John 17, 17. Father, Father, Father. He's high priestly prayer. He is praying as the Father, to the Father. He's our Father, the shepherd of our soul. And he's praying, Father. In John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. Set them apart. The only way we can be set apart for God, it's by the truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. So as I close, I didn't finish but I'm closing. Remember, the Hebrew word emet has three letters. The first is Aleph, the first word of the Hebrew alphabet. Second is Tav, the middle word of the Hebrew alphabet. And Mem, the last word of the Hebrew alphabet. You put it together, you get the truth. Start reading your Bible through. Start studying the Bible through and ask God, speak to me, Lord. I don't want fancy tales by preachers who tickle ears, take one scripture alone and then build a foundation on it. Truth is whole. It's a continuum. Second, Aleph is God. If you take God and put him there in the beginning, you remember in gospel epistle according to John, he categorizes people in the kingdom into three categories, children, young men, and fathers. What was about the father? Only one thing, nothing mentioned. They knew him from the beginning. What does it mean? God was always there in their beginning. God was there, Aleph. God was there. They would always ask this question, what did God say? What does God want me to do? And the third picture is the picture of strong arms, the personal relationship with God as truth, the person of God, the strong picture of a father carrying his son. You know what he says, talks about Benjamin, the little one who never speaks, who never sins against the father, nor sins against Joseph. Benjamin is never recorded speaking in the book of Genesis, yet when he served, he's given five times more. That is grace. Do you know what is about Benjamin? The beloved of the Lord rides upon his shoulders. See the pictures of fathers carrying the little ones and the little one. He, he is on the top of the world. He's not afraid at all because he knows the strength of those shoulders. That is a myth. A personal, strong relationship with the person of truth, Jesus of Nazareth. A story from the Middle Ages. A believer, strong believer, committed believer, a soldier and his wife, newly married wife, were crossing the ocean or the uh, lake in a boat. And the storm came. The boat was going up and down. Water was getting in. and The soldier was very calm. The bride started panicking more and more. And then she started getting angry. How come you are so calm? You don't care. Familiar words, right? He took his sword out. 
and held it close to her neck. Then he looked at her and said, are you afraid? She said, no. Why are you not afraid? Because I know you love me. He said, that's why I am not afraid in the storm. Because I know he loves me. That is a myth. That is a myth. You can be hit by a wind from the devil that brings your house down and chill, kill all your children. He can bring down fire and destroy everything that you have. And yet you will say, I know my Redeemer loves. That is a myth. That is a myth, the Father who loves you. That is why Jesus says, perfect love casts away all fear. A trust in his shoulders, in his power, in his strength. That's why he slept in the middle of the storm. And when they woke him up and did not care, he rebuked the wind and spoke to the sea when everything was still. He asked him his question. Why are you afraid? Where is your? Don't you trust me? Don't you trust me? Don't you trust my father? Don't you trust me? That is truth. That sets you free. That's why sitting in a stinking dungeon in a Roman prison, probably in chains, definitely in chains, eating meager rations, having all the church in Asia abandoned him, and one Ephraim is alone searching and finding him. And Paul is able to say, I know in whom I have believed, and I am well persuaded. Let me ask this question to your children. Men and women, fathers and mothers, married and unmarried, are you well persuaded? That is well able to keep what you have committed into his hands until that day? Do you have that emet in your life? Otherwise we won't survive in the storm that is here and the storm that is coming. Every generation that came through is because they knew God that way. And Christ came so that we would know God that way. That's why when they said, teach us to pray, he said, this is how you need to pray. Abba. Daddy. My father. Changes everything. The solution the world's problem. And all the problems is centered into one thing by God. Fatherlessness. Answer. Let the fathers arise. 40,000 in Ephraim. And Ephraim turned back at the day of battle. No fathers. One father is there. A wuss called Barak. That is when Deborah, the mother, arose. And he said, Barak, Barak, fight, fight. God is for you. Fight for your children. Fight for the generation. God is calling out to the men, young men sitting over there. Start today. Start today. Prepare your altar. Build your altar. Pick up this book. Put on a worship song. You don't have to sing. You don't have to be a great singer to be a worshipper. Sing along. Sing along. Plenty. I'm discovering new singers because I'm tired with the old ones. 
Theophilus, Sunday, Nathaniel, Bassi, all new ones, all from Nigeria, are wonderful singers. I sometimes ask God, Lord, give me a worship leader who leads like Peter, has a voice of Praneet, the scripture of Pastor Vijay, and the prayer of Brother Wesley. That he says, I will give you four, not one. Each worship leader has his own way and his gift. But you all can be a worshipper, even if you don't know how to sing. You can sing along. You can all be a good student of the word, because there is one who teaches. And there is an anointing that teaches all things. Build your altar today. Let there be no more fatherless in the house of God, because God is the Father. Ultimately, at the end of the story, the end of the story, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Literally, heaven comes down to earth. The Father is with His children and He's got this huge handkerchief to wipe away every tear and every sorrow. And there is no more death. There is no more. Why? Because there is only a myth. Truth. No more lies. No more fables. No more myths. Only truth. And therefore, life forever more. Shall we stand? Father, this morning we come to you, Lord. Who else can we go to you, Father? You are our Father. To every child who is sitting here, who may not have a father figure in their life, you are still there. They may not be able to speak it out, but you are there. A call away. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock, you said. If you open, Jesus said, I and my father will come and fellowship with you. God is knocking. Today, somebody's heart. God is knocking. You have run too long and too far, but I have never left you. I'm still pursuing you. You open that door of your heart. Jesus and the Father will come in. Lifelong, eternal fellowship will begin today. Don't close your heart. You're welcoming the most gentlest and yet the strongest person ever. The most loving, the most compassionate, yet the toughest person ever. Our Father. Who loves us with an everlasting love. And even angels are amazed. Invite him in today. And those who invited him years back and walked away, come back. Like the prodigal son turned back. The reason he turned back was because of his father. He said, in my father's house. He was hesitant. He didn't expect much. 
But the reception he got when he came was mind-boggling. Because that is the love of the Father. Cover my son with the best robe. Cover his feet. Restore his sonship. Kill the fattened calf. Let us celebrate. Because my son was dead. But he's alive. If you're coming back today, there is celebration in the father's house. There is singing and dancing in heaven. Because the prodigal, the son, the daughter has come back. shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. All around the world, Lord. So many orphans listening. I know, Father, from New York to Egypt to Afghanistan, children are listening, who have lost their parents, abandoned by their parents, lost to war and death and disease. You have a father. You are no longer an orphan. I will not leave you orphans, is what he said. I will send somebody just like me. The spirit of the father. Receive him today. Let there be no orphans in God's house. Let him teach you what the true template is. Who you are in Christ. What is a man? What is a woman? What's a husband? What's a wife? What's a father? What's a mother? What's a child? Don't listen to the fables of Disney. Don't listen to the myths sold by the world. At the end of it is death. Listen to God. Because there is life. Touch every individual, every home. Comfort. Bind up the wounds. Strengthen those weak knees and hands that are laid down. Let hands be lifted up in praise and in adoration. Let every hand bless your holy name. Bless your holy name. Bless your holy name. Let every tongue declare, O Father, my Father, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Thank you, thank you, Lord. I didn't know. Lord, I didn't know it's my Father who sees the kingdom and the power. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. We just thank you. May the Son of Righteousness rise over everyone with healing under His wings. And even the one who came in most discouraged go out like calves fed at the stalls. Thank you, thank you, Father. Let restoration take place in every life, in every family, every marriage, every home. We just thank you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the everlasting Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with us now and forevermore. Amen and amen.